0: Hi, everyone. I'm just jumping in before we get started to say that we are currently having our annual holiday giving drive. So we're hoping to raise $25,000 by December 31st. So if you are interested in supporting the Institute, we have a matching grant, which would mean the first $7,000 are matched dollar for dollar. So if we can reach that goal, we would get Uh, more than halfway to our $25,000 goal for this fall. So if you uh, are interested in making a donation, um, please just go to our website, youngchicago.org. Thank you so much. Also, uh, the analyst training program is currently accepting applications through January 15th. Um, So if you're interested in learning more about the program, just visit our website, youngchicago.org. Thanks. Welcome to the Jungian Anthology Podcast from the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago, exploring the mystery of transformation with Murray Stein. Transformation of the self is mysterious whether it comes about gradually or suddenly. The essence of the process is buried in the unconscious. In this interview, Murray Stein sheds light on key dimensions of transformation based on his recent book, The Mystery of Transformation. In conversation with host Patricia Martin, they cover topics such as the individuation process, the union of anima and animus, and how the deep work of psychological transformation makes us whole. Murray Stein is a graduate of the C.G. Jung Institute Zurich and is a trained analyst at the International School of Analytical Psychology in Zurich. He is a founding member of the Interregional Society for Jungian Analysts and the Chicago Society of Jungian Analysts. He has written lots of books um, which we've linked to in the show notes. Now let's get to the interview.
1: Hello, this is Patricia Martin, and welcome to Jung in the World, a podcast of Jungian theology produced by the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. With us today is Murray Stein. He is one of the most prominent Jungian scholars in the world, and he is the training and supervising analyst at the International School of Analytical Psychology in Zurich. He has been the president of the International Association for Analytical Psychology and he is the author of several top-selling books, Jung's Map of the Soul, Minding the Self, Outside, Inside and All Around and many other books and articles. Four volumes of his collected writings have been published to date and two more are currently in preparation. He is also the president of the Mercurius Prize Committee It's an organization that honors the work of filmmakers who keep alive the theories of Carl Jung. We are especially honored by the opportunity to interview Murray Stein on the occasion of his new book, The Mystery of Transformation, but also because he was the first president of the Chicago Society of Jungian Analysts, and he played an active role in the founding of our institute, cg jung institute of chicago from where this is coming he lives in switzerland and has a private practice in zurich welcome murray
2: stein thank you so much patricia my pleasure to be here with you
1: it's i so thoroughly enjoyed reading your new book, The Mystery of Transformation. What a big topic. <laughs> and cheers to you for taking it on. I, I, as I was reading it, I thought to myself, you know, we, we can say when we look back on our lives, boy, why did I reach that turning point? And why did I take the path I took? You know, some people just say, well, something happened and they can't quite put their finger on it. You know, unless they've done a lot of analysis and depth psychology. But suddenly, it seems that the secure boundaries of our lives, the guardrails, the the work, the patterns, the roles we play, they used to define us, and then they start to feel stifling. What's going on there? Why do we feel the impulse to take the journey of transformation?
2: Well, because you've outgrown them. Um, You know, uh, it's a little bit like wearing uh, a suit of clothes when you're uh, a teenager and, um, you know, you have growth spurts. And uh, at one point, they no longer fit you. The sleeves are too short or they're too tight. And so that happens in life. You know, people outgrow previous, um, you could say, persona constellations that have served them well for a period of time. Uh, but they no longer uh, fit their their needs and their their emerging potentials. So this is an experience that many people have at different stages of their lives um, where they outgrow one identity and uh, need to find uh, another formulation for themselves, uh, uh, another way of uh, expressing themselves in the world or being themselves. And um, one of the first books I wrote, uh, which was delivered as a series of lectures at the um, Jung Center in Evanston at that time, this was in the 1980s, late 70s, 80s, became my first book in midlife, um, in which I considered what happens at midlife in this midlife transition or midlife transformation. Uh, And that's... um, pretty much what I came up with, uh, based on um, my experience, experience with some clients at that time, and looking at Jung's life, that uh, Jung went through a huge change and transformation experience at midlife when he broke away from Freud and he entered his confrontation with the unconscious uh, and then emerged from that. So this, um, um what we call transformation is really a, a kind of reformulation of attitudes um, toward life, um, views of yourself, your identity, how you are with other people, what you want to do with the rest of your life, your basic values. And these tend to evolve in the course of your life, you grow. So,
1: uh, I, this is uh, fascinating, this phrase you just used. We have emerging potential. And is, is that to say that not only as we grow, do our clothes get tight, too tight for us because we're growing, but mm. also that there is a different sense of potential, potentiality that waits for us. And we we have to go find out what that is. Is that, is, is that part of the dynamic?
2: Um. I like that word potential you know um, the concept is that we are born with a lot of potentials and Jung called that the self the the self is a potential personality that you come into the world with Uh, when you're born um, you haven't actualized very much Jungians sometimes use the acorn theory you know you're like a seed that grows into a tree Uh, But if you cut open the seed and look at it, you don't see a little tree inside. You see germ seed, and that germ seed is potential um, for what the tree will become. And human beings are like that. We come into the world with a self. Um, uh, Michael Fordham has written about this. He was a prominent Jungian analyst in England. And um, uh, we don't come with what is sometimes called tabula rasa, just a blank slate that uh, is then impressed by influences and input and interjection, we come with a with substance and we interact with the world. Um, and so even the baby is interacting with its mother, and babies are different. You know, if a mother has three or four babies, she'll see a difference in how they respond to her very early on. Some are more shy and introverted, some are more outgoing and extroverted. And so this potential that we come into the world with takes time to um, uh, emerge. Uh, Some of it emerges quite early, you know, your brain develops in your early years, Uh, your frontal lobes come online uh, after uh, a certain age, and, and, uh, and as an adolescent, your body goes through a metamorphosis and changes. Um, And so the physical changes that we see in a person taking place over a lifetime uh, correspond also to uh, psychological changes. The personality uh, emerges in the course of time, and we call that transformation. And uh, uh, what you finally become uh, in the course of your life is a combination of what you have brought into life, potentially, and how the world around you has reacted to it, or uh, what has happened to you in the social and physical world. And uh, so that also makes a great difference in how we eventually develop, how we're related to by our parents, by our mother initially, by others, by our society, uh, schools, and then accidents that happen to us, traumas that happen to us. All of these have an effect on our development. But we're constantly interacting with whatever is coming to us from around us. Um, And so we're a combination of outside, inside, and all around, as I wrote about. Um, The um, boundaries between outside and inside aren't so clear. you grow up in a certain culture, you become a part of that culture. So the culture is outside of you, but it's also inside of you. And if you move, go to a different culture, you will you will get a glimpse of how that culture has formed you. If you grew up in America and you come over here to Switzerland or live in Europe, you'll see that you're, you've been uh, Americanized. You are American. There's something in you that you could say is American culture that's different from swiss culture or french culture so that outside and inside are very mixed together but as psychologists we tend to look for what um, as psychotherapists and particularly looking at individuation as potential growth and future development we look at what is there that's available that hasn't been fully developed yet, but if brought into the picture, uh, might make quite a a difference in a person's life and their attitudes um, and their their work situations, their relationships. Um, And uh, we try to um, bring out as much of that potential as is possible. That's the goal of therapy to facilitate what we call the individuation process, movement toward wholeness, which is the development of the full personality.
1: You know, when you said the movement toward wholeness, it reminded me that I was away on retreat this this past week, and I, I read your book, and I also uh, picked up a, an old book of uh, Barbara Hanna's on mo- moving toward wholeness, or striving toward wholeness, sorry, oh. striving toward wholeness, yes, and yeah. she talks about... This journey of transformation, when we take it on somewhat consciously, that uh, it can be work. And Carl Jung thought it was work. This, <laughs> <laughs> right? In, in other words, it's not just, you know, sunbeams and rainbows, and you suddenly wake up and feel great because you're tuned into something new about yourself. And so uh, I was curious if you could talk about. What it takes from a person? What, what kind of traits have you seen over the years of working as an analyst? What does it take to go through a major transformation and come out the other end as a, as a more whole person?
2: Hmm. Well, um, it's a very difficult question. Um, I think it... Um, it takes a type of uh, serious commitment to to uh, the process. Now, most people who come into Jungian analysis as such are already fairly interested in and committed to um, trying to engage in development and individuation. Um, but a lot of people who come into psychotherapy and and um, Um, uh, also end up visiting Jungian analysts by accident, don't know anything about uh, the individuation process, and they just want some relief from their suffering. Mm. Uh, People come into psychotherapy because they're having a hard time with something. Uh, It might be a a relationship, a loss, a conflict, uh, uh, a neurosis, and they would like to have some insight but mostly relief uh, from their acute suffering, and that can be delivered fairly quickly and easily, but with psychotherapy of most any kind. Um, but then um, uh, that relief uh, <clears throat> uh, is just the beginning of a a possible, uh, much deeper, life-changing engagement with oneself. Um, and that's where the, the real work starts. The the relief comes quite easily, it's quite superficial. You, get, you feel a little better having talked about your problems with somebody who cares about you and understands and, and can make a few comments and interpretations and you sort of get on top of it and feel more energy. Um, but if the, um, if the issue is deeper than that, um, then of course, uh, uh, relief is not so much the issue as really deep understanding how did I get myself into a situation like this? Or what can I, how can I get out of um, this um, pit that I've fallen into? And what a union will do typically is not try to get people out of the pit so quickly as experience what's in the pit. Um, because the pit is also a part of your um, life experience. Mm-hmm. So, The hard work in analysis, I find, is dealing with the pit. (laughs) The pit. (laughs) Uh, um, That is what Jung called the shadow. Um, Mm. The shadow is the darkness. The shadow is the part of life that we don't want to look at or don't want to face. It's either something in ourselves that we don't like, or some things that have happened to us that are very painful and we want to keep in the closet, Um, traumatic experiences, losses, um, uh, insults, um, to our um, self-esteem, and um, to look at these carefully and to analyze them, as we say, and to take responsibility uh, for the part of of the situation that we Uh, can take responsibility for um, is often a very challenging and painful and difficult piece of work. And so if people just want quick relief, they aren't going to go there for very long. They'll jump out um, and um, find a good hobby to pursue and go on their way. (laughs) Um, But people who really want to deal with themselves and with the issues will stay for the longer work. And that can be, um, you know, hard work. It can be painful. It can be, but it, it's not only painful because in that dark pit, you're also going to find some light. You're going to find, um, you're going to find treasures down there as you dig around. Uh, you're going to find, um, unrealized, uh, life, uh, potentials, uh, in that pit. And, um, so, um, Jungians are are generally um, optimistic about going into the darkness and staying there uh, for a period of time and engaging uh, the darkness in oneself and the depression and the the, um, sadness and the suffering uh, because um, it's a part of um, growth. Uh, Jung felt that you couldn't really grow psychologically speaking without suffering um, it's a it's a strange concept for most people because <laughs> who wants to suffer um right we
1: all no. want trans transformation you yeah. know it's like that joke you know oh yeah I believe in change
2: you go first <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> in my book I write about Dante I got fascinated with dante and um, uh, a couple of years ago because his 700th anniversary of his death was being celebrated in 21 and um, i was asked to give a lecture in italy in honor of of dante so i hadn't paid that much attention to the divine comedy but i really got into it Um, and um, one of the chapters in my book is about dante's journey to um, transformation and um, dante would have never never uh, been, become the great poet he did and write the Divine Comedy if he had not suffered uh, excruciating pain by being exiled from his native Florence. He lost everything. On on, on uh, pain of death, he could not return to Florence. His party, uh, the uh, Guelphs or the Ghibellines, whichever one it was, I forget now at the moment, but It was a political conflict, he was on the wrong side. They took away all his property, they threw him out of the city, he could never return, and he lived the last 20 years of his life in exile. And that's when he wrote the Divine Comedy. Now, he would have probably been a notable poet anyway, because he was was a romance poet and, and was fairly well known, but he would have gotten lost in politics and governing and administration and who knows what had he not been uh, forced into exile and suffer the um, terrible pathos of uh, living in other people's houses, eating their bread, as he says, Mm -hmm. um, separated from his family. So the suffering made him into the great person that he became, not only as a poet, but as a, a kind of prophet, And visionary. You know, he had amazing inner experiences on his journey into the darkness of first the inferno and then purgatory and all the suffering that he witnessed and participated in. All of that was a part of his transformation into the great visionary prophet that he became. So, um, Jung had the same experience at midlife. Uh, and he created the Red Book <laughs> out of his experience. And he be- Jung became a Jungian because of his suffering. He w- if he'd stayed with Freud, he could have had a comfortable life. He was wealthy. Um, he could have been a notable psychiatrist, taught at the university, had a nice life. But he would never have become Jung had he not suffered. So suffering isn't a bad thing. Depression isn't a bad thing. Falling into the hole isn't a bad thing It's what you do with it and what comes out of it um, and how we decide right. that we're going to
1: yeah. pursue the path to get the elixir to get the to get the treasure that's uh, right because there is treasure you know when you when I interview people who have gone through a um, a major set of transformations you know life altering changes they've changed their career they've changed you know where they live they've whatever it is yeah. um but they can profoundly say that they are different as the result of this transformation they all feel a similar enthusiasm for what they learned out of the transition that now guides their lives
2: right I think- uh, gratitude is, um, is the key, um, you know, that uh, uh, if you look at Jung's experience, uh, once he got um, through it, um, and it took quite some years, but um, and then he had the experiences of the mandala and the light and the Liverpool dream, um, uh, I think what he uh, felt more than anything was gratitude. Uh, that he'd been able to uh, complete that journey but it's uh, painful and difficult as it was for him um, that it made his life meaningful so uh, I look to gra- uh, I look for gratitude uh, to people who um, go through the process and find their way to the other side uh, of a transformation and um, to become themselves more fully, and uh, to bring out these potentials that would have never been realized without the journey.
1: The Liverpool dream, it, it it's referenced so many times, right, by Jungian scholars and Jung himself throughout his collected works. I, I'm, it makes me want to go there to the idea of dreams, and you know, dreams are spoken to us they they reveal symbols and archetypes uh metaphors they're never really quite straightforward um especially when we're undergoing a a transformation but i think what what struck me in your book is you 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 coined the phrase big dreams and i think that was jung's phrase for it some dreams are like the liverpool dream yeah. They're big and they're different, and they offer different quality of guidance and I just wondered if we could talk about that for a bit
2: yeah well um in uh in my book in midlife i um i um quote uh, the dream of a woman in uh in her midlife experience in her thirties that was uh, a dream of um immense transformation, it was a death and rebirth dream like uh, I'd never seen before in my life at that point, but I was very young, I was in my 30s also. Um, and, but to this day, it still strikes me as magnificent uh, depiction of, um, of a, a metamorphosis, a transformation process that was shown in the dream. Now what the, this dream came to her and she didn't have any idea what the dream meant. Uh, She'd read a little bit of Jung, she was in some Jungian circles, but it took the next uh, 20-30 years to realize what that dream meant. So sometimes you have these big dreams that come to you, and all you can do is wonder, what does this hold in store for me? And keep it in the back of your mind and look back on it uh, from some years distant, and, and you will see. Um, Wow, that really was an augury. That was a forecast of what was potentially uh, developing within the depths of the unconscious. It's like the unconscious knows where it's going. You don't know. But uh, there is a kind of wisdom that Jung discovered in the unconscious, uh, which is different from Freud's idea of the unconscious, incidentally. Uh, which was more or less, you know, the shadow and the and the id, the instincts, our instinctual life, which is also there. Uh, but Jung uh, discovered another level that really knows our potential for uh, selfhood. And um, if we stay true to ourselves, um, and we can talk about that too. What does that mean? Staying true to yourself, um, um, and follow the the guidance uh, or suggestions of the dream which are very vague and symbolic so it doesn't it isn't a recipe now do this now do this but it does give you a kind of general orientation as to where you might be going and then you fill in the blanks with your life Um, uh, at the end of the process you can see um what the um what the dream knew all along it's quite extraordinary.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a roadmap spoken in symbols. But I, right. I want to get into this idea of being true to yourself. You know, that's a that's a yeah. phrase. I, I I I research the digital culture and how people yeah. develop their sense of identity in the digital culture. Yeah. And I this I was interviewing this one young blogger, and he said, "Yeah, being yourself is overrated on the internet." <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Being yourself is overrated. Okay, so I want to go back to this idea of being true to yourself. What do you mean when you say that?
2: Well, you you can't get um, you can't get uh, guidance for being true to yourself from the internet. That's for sure. <laughs> from your social media groups, um, that you know this. Um, What's happening in the culture now with this digital age, as they're calling it, is, um, on the one hand, um, opening up avenues for individual development and expression that were barely noticed before. I mean, now the doors are being thrown wide open and the windows uh, to uh, just becoming... um, uh, Pretty much whatever you think you want to be in the moment. Um, but is that following um, being true to yourself? You know, when Jungians use the word self, um, it has a very special connotation. It isn't just an impulse, um, and it isn't uh, ego-directed. Ego is your I. You know, the ego says, I want I think uh, I need, mm-hmm. um, and um, and those are true. Also, you know, uh, um, I, w- I want to live a happy life. I want to have a good relationship. Um, I want to get rich. I want to be famous. All, all the things the I wants, um, but the I is not the self. So if you're listening to the I, you're not being true to the self. Mm. Um, the self is. The center of the whole personality. Okay, and it's very elusive. Um, it's um, it's very complex. It doesn't just uh, tell you, uh, give you give you straight directions um, in the in the form of uh, desires or passions. Um, it might signal you with um, synchronicities. You know um if you look back on your life and you see what were some of the most important turning points in your life i guarantee you'll find that many of them if not all of them were accidental for instance how did i become a jungian analyst which has occupied my life since i was 25 years old okay i'm now 79 years old so a lot um, Long, long time. How did I? Bravo, ever get, by the way. <laughs> Bravo. I've never um, found my way to Jungian uh, Jungian work except for a chance conversation on a Sunday afternoon in Washington D.C. in 1968. I remember the day when a woman said to me, "You know what?" I think you would be interested in Jung. Why don't you look into that? And we were in the middle of a discussion about the Vietnam War, 1968. You know, it was a big year. So I went to the bookstore and I found a book, the only book by Jung that was available Memories, Dreams, Reflections. Mm-hmm. And I've never put it down. Wow. wow. That book, that book changed my life. Okay. And I, I might have found it another time. I don't know, but it was the timing of it—pure uh, mm. accident, pure chance. Um, and I, I've heard so many stories like that about people getting married, for instance, because they met somebody by chance on an airplane flight. You know, who knew? Um, it isn't by deliberate, rational acts of, um, you know, based on knowledge bases that we make our most important decisions. They're on hunches, they're on, they're on chance events. Now, what do you do with a chance event? I mean, it could just peter out into nothing. I could have read that book and dropped it, but that was followed by other synchronicities. So when I came back, I was uh, on an internship in Washington, I came back to Yale. The first person I met coming back on campus told me they had just been to Zurich and they were studying at the Jung Institute. I said, what's that? You know, it was like that one little thing after another. And that's if you follow these hints, as Jung calls them, numinous experiences, synchronicities, they're hints from the self. That is being true to the self. It isn't, uh, what would I like to do? I didn't even know what a Jungian analyst was, had never heard of such a thing. Didn't know there was such a profession. It isn't that I wanted to become a Jungian analyst. I I thought this is an interesting topic, uh, interesting set of ideas. And then one thing leads to another, and before you know it, you have a path. So when I think about being true to oneself, I think about paying attention to big dreams and synchronistic events. A synchronicity is a meaningful coincidence. Our Mm -hmm. life is full of them, full of coincidences. We don't make much meaning out of most of them. But um, if you have one, and you follow up on it, and then that takes you another step, you're being true to the self. And it's a kind of mystical path. It's it's, uh, it's not a rational path, it's an irrational path, this being true to the self. Um, so that's what I mean by being true to yourself. Uh, being true to yourself uh, isn't being true to your um, habitual um, way of life, being true to what you've been taught by your parents or your culture. uh, It's keeping your ears and eyes open for surprising opportunities that just drop into your lap synchronistically, meaningfully, and you follow up on them. Most great inventions come like that. Most great ideas come like that. you know, that's, that's how culture develops. That's how individuals develop, by following those things. If you just follow the given path that's laid down for you by your family, by your culture, by your ego desires, uh, you can live an okay life, but you aren't going to live a very creative life, and you aren't going to discover the, um, the greatest gifts that the self has to offer. Those come from the fringes. Right? They come from Hermes, Mercurius, from the edges. You'll never
1: really know what your potential was because. You won't know. exactly. You no, know, which, wow, that's, that's a big price to pay for wanting to play it safe, right? Yeah, it's a big uh, price. <laughs> and, and it what, reminds me of this quote that you, you bring up in, in your book. Uh, the Ministry of Transformation is that, you know, Jung was lecturing to a group of young medical students, and he was a little reluctant to kind of lay down the darker side of what it means to go through a midlife crisis or a big change, and, but he does it anyway. I'm going to quote this from your book, okay? This is Jung speaking. A point exists at about the 35th year when things begin to change. It is the first moment of the shadow side of the self, of going down to death. It is clear that Dante found this point. When this turning point comes, people meet it in several ways. Some turn away from it, others plunge into it, and something important happens to yet others from the outside. So this made me think, oh, you know, a little bit like Joseph Campbell says the hero here's the call mm-hmm. and in our own lives, at some point, the self, if it's not really living up to its potential, I'm interpreting you now is the self. hears a calling, you know, a calling co- goes out and we either hear it and rise to it, or we set it aside and have you had patients come to you later, you know, and at- analysis come to you later in their lives when they, Ignored the calling, and now they want to act on some of it. What do what? How do you? What do you have to say to them?
2: Well, it's never too late, you know. Um, um, working with um, uh, clients, uh, you always have to begin with exactly where they are and accept them where they are and what they have been, and then take it from there. So, I follow Jung's advice, you know. Uh, he says to the patient, I don't know what's good for you. I don't know what your path is. I have no idea. Let's look to your dreams. So no matter what your age, I would say that, no matter what your life has been. I remember a woman coming to me when I was in Chicago for some sessions. Um, she had taken some courses at the Young Institute, and she wanted to, have, to work on her dreams a bit. And she was in her 60s. And she came with a lot of regrets about her life. Uh, she had been a bad mother. She had been a failed uh, academic. She said she had been a terrible wife. Her husband had died recently. She felt very bad about her um, her previous life. Um, and so we worked on that a bit. Uh, but the main thing was, yes, you have to look at all that of the past. But what, what about... Um, the potential, what's still left? So we started looking at her dreams and then um, also doing active imagination. Now that active imagination is something that Jung discovered in his midlife crisis period, um, and creating the Red Book, um, following what he called the spirit of the depths, not the spirit of the times. Uh, So you kind of leave the historical world and you go into the depths. Now you look at the unconscious and you work with images that come to you from the unconscious. So she picked up on some images from the unconscious and started working with them in active imagination. And it completely transformed her life. In her 70s now, okay, she discovered a figure who she related to as a kind of Mother Teresa figure. And they had conversations. And uh, she got advice from this figure. She completely um, uh, uh, mended, uh, uh, repaired her relationships with her children. She had a couple of alienated children at that time. Um, gave them some money that, uh, that they had coming to them, some inheritance. She went back to a church and started working with, with people um, in, in need you know, in the shelter that uh, the church provided and so on. And she really started being um, what, what Erickson called generativity, a generative person, out of this experience in active imagination, discovering the Mother Teresa within. Uh, she became like a Mother Teresa. Now, that uh, uh, happened to her in her later years, and it made all the difference in her life. She could let go of the regrets. She could repair what was repairable you have to let the rest go anyway um and so you know if people come with um that kind of situation i just say well let's see what's still possible let's look at the unconscious let's look for some dreams and work with them so
1: in a sense our potential is always waiting for us it's always there yes it's always there what a what a brilliant note to yeah. end on marie it, uh, it's inspiring to talk to you. You've seen so much, you've written so much, you've worked with so many people and so many of their dreams. So I, I want, on behalf of everyone at the Institute, I, I want to thank you not only for today, but for all you've done for the Institute in Chicago. And uh, your book, The Mystery of Transformation, we will make sure that we have a link to it so people can find it. Thank you, and Patricia. I I really, it was such an honor
2: today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you, Patricia. And um, I, I would like to uh, just uh, send my greetings to all my friends at the Chicago Institute. I know so many of them, not the new ones so much, but the ones I worked with in the training program until 2003, and we've kept up, some of us, in the meantime, and they're very deep and wonderful friendships. I shall do so. OK. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about training programs, archives this podcast or to find a union analyst near review, visit our website youngchicago.org thank you to our 2021 donors who gave at the contributing member level or above the arlene m finer trust barbara annan arlo and rena compan judith cooper kevin davis george j didier mary doherty carl and patricia greer ryan mayer patricia martin Boris Matthews, Sue Rosenthal, Diane Sherwood, Debbie Stutzman, Lawrence Chad Tingley, Alexander Wayne and Lynn Kopp, Gerald Weiner, and Ellen Young. You can also become a supporter of this podcast by visiting our website, youngchicago.org. Thanks.